0: What's up guys and welcome back to another episode of the last take sports podcast
1: and in this episode we will be going over the first and second rounds in the ncaa tournament so let's get right into it and it's only right if we start this podcast off talking about oral roberts university man what a cinderella run so far they've made it to the sweet 16 they were a 15 seed they upset number two ohio state and number seven florida on their way i mean This is one of the best or greatest runs we've seen in a while from any team in the NCAA tournament. This is just so impressive. And it truly just fits this year because it's been such a crazy season, such a crazy year with COVID and everything going on. So it only fits to have a 15 seed make it as far as the 15 seed has ever gone in the history of the NCAA tournament. But Henry, what are your thoughts about Oral Roberts and their Cinderella run so far?
0: Yeah, Andrew and Oral Roberts, as Stephen A. Smith likes to say, pretty impressive that they're, the they're the second team ever to be a 15 seed and make it to the Sweet 16 along with Florida Gulf Coast back in 2013. They beat San Diego State and Georgetown on the way to a Sweet 16 berth. And it's incredible. I mean, they. Pulled off a very, very shocking upset against Ohio State, who a lot of people had in the Final Four. And then they beat Florida in what was a game a lot of people thought Florida had in the bag, considering they were up 11 with six minutes to go. and Or Robertson back down, they came back and won the game. So it's pretty incredible what they're able to do. They've been a very impressive team. They definitely can score the ball. They don't play much defense, but their offense can take them as far as they want to. And they definitely can win another game, I think, even somehow, Dare I say, make the final four?
1: So, do you think it's realistic to say that they have a legitimate shot at winning their upcoming game against number three seed Arkansas in the Sweet 16?
0: I'd say 80 20. I, I'm going to I pick Arkansas for sure, but it's it's legitimately possible for Oral Roberts to win, definitely.
1: Yeah. And they've been nothing short of impressive. And I would still pick Arkansas as well but when you see a team defeat Ohio state and keep in mind, they were very clutch in that game and they came back against Florida in the second half, an impressive comeback. I mean, I, I mean, looking at that, they should have a chance at beating Arkansas. I would say a good chance, but who knows how they come out yet again, they're still 15 seeds. So you never know, but if they keep playing like they have been, Like, I mean, that's why I think they have a chance. If they can keep playing like that, they can, they have a serious chance of beating Arkansas, but let's move on to our next topic. And that's just talking about all the upsets because right now I believe there has been the most upsets in history in, in the NCAA tournament, I believe so far, and we'll just go one by one and just starting it off Abilene Christian. I think this is probably the clutchest of the upsets so far. Abilene Christian, number 14 seed over three seed Texas and Abilene Christian. I mean, hit two clutch free throws to win the game. And keep in mind, the free throw shooter was not good at all. I mean, I believe he was a little above a 50% shooter. He goes to the line down one on a one and one and drains both to win the game. I mean, that's impressive. That's clutch. Abilene Christian clutched up in that game. They stuck with Texas, who is a very good team. Throughout the whole game, impressive win, Henry. What are your thoughts on the Abilene Christian win?
0: Yeah, Andrew, and it's pretty embarrassing for Texas. I mean, that's 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 really what it comes down to. Texas team that a lot of people had going to the final four, being legitimate national title contender, to, for them to lose in the first round to a team that eventually got blown up by an 11 seed. I mean, that that's pretty bad. Congrats to Abilene Christian, but this is significantly more about Texas and the the choke job that Shaka Smart was able to pull off here. I mean, this is one of the all-time biggest upsets. I think this was genuinely a bigger upset than Ohio State losing to Oral Roberts because Ohio State – because Oral Roberts had guys that you knew could take over a game. Abilene Christian won 53-52. to 52. I mean, that was just a blown game. I mean, that was a horrendous game on every single side of the ball, offense, defense, and – Uh, special teams, which includes timeouts, which is Shaka smart. I mean, Texas gave up that game in every way, shape, and form, 100%.
1: Yeah, definitely not one of the better games for that Texas squad. But let's move on to our next first round upset we saw. And that was Oregon State over uh, Tennessee. And not only did Oregon State upset Tennessee in the first round, they also upset number four seed Oklahoma State in the second round. So my opinion, I mean, this Oregon State team snuck in on an automatic bid by winning their conference tournament. They were not a tournament team. They were actually picked last to finish in their conference in the preseason polls by the media. So this team was not that impressive of a team throughout the season as well. And there weren't very high expectations for this team, but they somehow won their conference tournament, found a way into the NCAA tournament, and now they're they're making their stay worth it. I mean, they're capitalizing on this bid that they got through their conference tournament. And by beating a five and a four seed in the first two uh, games, first two rounds, I mean, that's fairly impressive. So maybe this Oregon State team belonged the, the entire time. I mean, they've, they've just been shooting the lights out. Their offense has been absolutely incredible. And keep in mind, Tennessee and Oklahoma State, those are pretty solid teams, so to beat those two teams pretty convincingly says a lot about this team. And I think this team is very legit in Oregon state. And I, I think they have a shot, uh, to beat Loyola Chicago, which is a very favorable matchup compared to what their possible matchup could have been in Illinois, the number one seed in the sweet 16. So I think getting eight seed Loyola Chicago is a favorable matchup. And I think based on how the rest of that, uh, that region is laying out i think they have a solid shot at possibly making a cinderella final four run so i think it's definitely possible especially with the way they've been playing offense uh recently and playing great basketball but henry your thoughts on the oregon state beavers and their performance as of right now through the tournament
0: yeah andrew and i mean this is a shocking run from the time that they were down 16 points with like nine minutes left against ucla and the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. I mean, for them to get all the way to the Sweet 16 is pretty incredible. And like you said, they have a legitimate shot to make a Final Four run with the way the bracket's shaped out, considering that they're they're in a region with an 8 seed, an 11 seed, and a 2 seed. But we all know that Houston's not your average 2 seed. I mean, they're not – they're there may not even be one of the, the top eight best teams left in the tournament. That says a lot, considering how, all the upsets we've had. But, I mean, this team has showed a lot. They, they show they can score the ball. They've defended very well. Uh, Tennessee kind of played horrendously. I mean, they couldn't make a single shot. Oklahoma State made it close at the end. We knew that was going to happen with Cade Cunningham in the game. They fell short eventually. And props to, props to Oregon State. I thought there was no way that Cade Cunningham wouldn't come back and lead Oklahoma State to a win, but Oregon State found a way to win. That's all that really matters this time of year.
1: Right, and let's move on to our next upset, and that was Ohio, 13 seed over a four seed, and this was one of the most predicted upsets. And oh, I mean, I feel like the people spoke it into existence. And this Ohio upset kind of reminded me of the Murray State John Morant upset over Marquette. It, it kind of gave me the same vibes. I mean, one guy, and I know it wasn't just Jason Preston leading the Ohio Bobcats over Virginia, but I mean, one guy can totally change like the, how good the team is. And I know that's true over all sports, but Jason Preston is the reason why this team is winning, just like how John Morant was with Murray State. I mean, he is truly leading this team, doing everything. And Ohio was down, especially towards the end of the game, and they found a way to come back and win that game. So very impressive win. I know they lost in the round of 32, and it wasn't that close to Creighton but a very impressive uh, first-round win against Virginia. So, Henry, what are your thoughts about uh, that first-round win from Ohio against the Virginia Cavaliers?
0: Yeah, Andrew, I didn't necessarily predict this one because I had a lot more faith in Virginia, but coming off of COVID pause, basically getting there Friday night and having to play in the worst circumstances. They didn't get the last time slot. They didn't even get to play in the city of Indianapolis. I mean, Virginia got screwed in this game. And once I thought about a little deeper once I kind of started thinking about it more once the brackets had already closed. I mean, there was no way Ohio was going to lose this game. They should have been favored. With, with all the circumstances that Virginia had to go through. There was really no way in my opinion that Virginia had a true fair shot, but props to Ohio. Jason Preston probably wound up being a first round pick Ohio played good, but I mean, this was more about Virginia just getting the Royal screw job.
1: Right. Virginia had a really tough, uh, path especially uh with getting a non-favorable first round matchup as a four seed i mean ohio was i don't think they were a 13 seed or should have been but that's where they were uh, placed and yeah and especially with those circumstances coming off of covid i mean definitely didn't help but let's move on to our next upset and this team also didn't have a very long stint after their first round upset and didn't really have much of a chance in the next round And that is North Texas. And North Texas, I mean, they played a great game throughout the entirety of it against Purdue. And I did not think North Texas had any chance coming into the game, but they played Purdue very well. And I was very impressed with North Texas, although they didn't fare uh, very well against uh, Villanova in the next round. But that first round win against Purdue was very impressive in my books and in my mind. And I thought that was a great win. Henry, what were your thoughts about North Texas's win over Purdue in the first round, another four or 13 over four upset.
0: Yeah, this might have been one of the most shocking ones I saw. I thought Purdue was a team that could possibly knock out Baylor. I knew they had inexperience problems. They didn't have a single senior on roster, but I just felt that with Matt Painter's experience in the tournament, with the way those guys have been playing. I just thought there was no way that North Texas was going to be able to come out and win that game. And especially the way the momentum shifted towards Purdue at the end of that game, I genuinely thought that Purdue was just going to run away with it in the final four minutes and props to North Texas. They played a hell of a game. I, I still don't know. If, I think that's, that was definitely one of the flukier upsets we've seen in this tournament. But I mean, they definitely earned their respect and Purdue is definitely going to be a very good team next year for sure.
1: Yeah, Purdue is a bright future, like you said, no seniors on roster, so they're only going to get better with their players having more experience, and for North Texas, I mean, you saw they didn't play very well against uh, Villanova, I believe they lost by at least 20, I'm not sure the exact final score, but yeah, I would say that was probably one of the more unexpected, and probably one of the more flukes of an upset, I think that was more uh, North Texas just having a hell of a game, like you said, rather than them being an actually solid team. So I I think that was probably, like you said, the most fluke upset out of them all. But let's move on to our next team. That is Loyola Chicago. And their first round win wasn't really an upset. They were the eight seed. They beat a nine seed. They move on. They play the number one seed in Illinois, who we all thought was the hottest team in basketball. Clearly not Loyola Chicago's sister, Jean Cameron Kurtwig. I believe I said his name right. Kurtwig Kurtwig, That's his name. Sorry for butchering. They, they stopped the Illinois train, the Fighting Illini. They just stopped the train dead in its tracks and proved the world wrong, shocked the world with that win. That, I think, was probably the most impressive win so far in the tournament. I have to say, I think that Loyola Chicago win was the most impressive win so far in the NCAA tournament. Wow. I mean, Loyola Chicago looked like a top 10 team in the country, at least in that game. As an eight seed, I mean that that was just so impressive that win. I I was shocked by that one, Henry. What what were your thoughts about uh, Loyola Chicago's win over number one seed Illinois?
0: Yeah, Andrew, they looked like the better team. I mean, it's 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 really as simple that as simple as that. I mean, this team is far and above better than that eleven seed team that made the Final Four run in twenty eighteen. I think I have that right. This team is better. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Cameron Crutwig is one of the best players in the country. He's playing one of like like one of the best players in the country. And they should be the legit favorites to come out of that Midwest region at this point. The way they dominated Illinois from start to finish. The the game plan that they were able to put together to stop Iodesumu. They basically just let Kofi Hobart do his thing and they kind of I, I guess they swarmed him. They they didn't allow him also to get touches. I mean they and they blitzed every Screen that was set for Ayodasumo, and he was just never never able to get going. It, it really sucks for him because that was a guy that that a lot of people could root for, regardless of what t- fan what team you were a fan of. And for him to probably end his college career like that was quite disappointing. But for Loyola Chicago, I mean, this is not your average eight seed. This team should definitely be the favorite to come out of the Midwest.
1: Yeah, and I I agree. I think. Loyola Chicago is much better than their seed and they showed it against Illinois, but let's move on to our next upset. And that was Oregon. And I know they didn't even play a first round matchup due to a no contest because VCU, their first round uh, matchup, they got COVID at the last second before their game. So they, they could not play and Oregon moved on. And then they played number two seed Iowa. And this was a shocker to me, but Henry, Henry knew, knew what was up, I mean, even before the tournament started, when he saw the field, Henry told me. He was like, got to watch out for Oregon. He was saying, he was like, I, and I know Henry and, and myself, we're not huge fans of the Pac-12, but he said, watch out for Oregon, especially with that uh, second-round possible matchup against Iowa. Oregon could be a team that takes down Iowa early, and that's exactly what happened. And Oregon absolutely dominated the game. Iowa, I don't think they even knew what the word defense meant when it came to game time against Oregon. They just did not play any. I don't think it was in their vocabulary. And if it ever was, they took it and put it in a blender and shredded it because they they just don't know what defense means, clearly. I don't think they played a single minute of it in that game. Luca Garza did everything he could. Just didn't have enough from his supporting cast. Like I said, as a team, they just could not play defense at all either. Luca Garza had 36 points, nine rebounds, I, I believe. But like I said, just not enough, especially for not being able to play defense as a team. Henry, what were your thoughts about this Oregon upset in the second round over number two seed Iowa?
0: Where the hell was Jordan Bohan? I mean, that's that's my question. I mean, that guy's a fifth-year senior, leader on that team. He He didn't score. He didn't have an assist. He turned the ball over like four times. I mean, you can't do that. You can't do that in the big, biggest game of your career. Honestly, in his case, I mean, I I really don't know what else to say. I mean, you're a fifth year senior. You're known as a shooter. Didn't make a single shot. Couldn't even get yourself to the free throw line for opportunities to score. And that was just one disappointing performance from a guy like him. And Garza did his thing. Wieskamp, he he was all right. I mean, he was the only other guy that legitimately kept him in the game. I mean, Iowa was missing shots that you would think would have gone in to even make that game closer down the stretch. But Garza carried them. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And it, it sucks for I, for Garza to end his career like that. But I, I just had a feeling that Oregon was such a team, was a team that created such, such mismatches for an, a team that has no defense in Iowa, that Oregon was going to be Iowa. So that that was just my little two cents and why I thought Oregon would have been, was going to be Iowa.
1: Yeah, and I did feel for Garza. And I actually texted that uh, to you and a couple people in our group chat, Henry. And I was saying, man, for some reason, and I am a Michigan State fan as well as Henry. So we don't necessarily uh, like Iowa or any of its players at that point, because... They're in the big 10. There are rivals. There are competitors. So not necessarily a fan of the Hawkeyes, but when I saw Luca Garza see and like realize that that was his last time ever putting on that Jersey, it hit me because that man laid it all out on the floor for his team and just no one helped him out at all. It felt like, and it was just, he was helpless. It felt like, I mean, laid it all out on the court every single time he touched the floor for the Hawkeyes. And it just seemed like they could never get it done. And I'm not, and it wasn't his fault. That's, that's the part that hurt me the most was because he did everything he possibly could. And he was just not rewarded. What a great player will go down. It's the best player to ever put on that Hawkeye Jersey. At least uh, right now, he's going down as the best in history. Who knows what happens for that program in the future but without Luca Garza, they aren't looking too, too good for the upcoming season. So this was the year for the Hawkeyes, if any. And I, I don't know if, if uh, they'll ever be as good as this year again. And if they'll ever have as good of a player as Luca Garza, hell of a career though. I mean, congrats to him on his career. Hopefully uh, makes it to the NBA and has the uh, professional career he, he hopes to have. But let's move on to our next upset and the UCLA Bruins and UCLA, I mean, I, I don't even want to talk about that for or the first four matchup too much because it just pains me, but they had a great comeback and overtime win against Michigan State. That's all I'm going to comment on. I don't want to talk about that game at all. And then they go on for their first round matchup round of 64 and they beat BYU convincingly. And I'm like, wow, it made, it made me feel a little better about that, about that loss, even though we shouldn't have lost. Once again, not getting into details about the game. Can't put myself through that. They beat BYU, number six seed BYU. Keep in mind, UCLA's the 11th seed. They beat them convincingly. It was a great win. They, they caught a break, Henry, because their, their round of 32 matchup, Abilene Christian, number 14 seed. And let's be honest, Abilene Christian had no business being in that uh, round, round of 32. So it, it is what it is. UCLA got it done with 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 a over Abilene Christian because like I said Abilene Christian had no business being there and they beat them by 20 I believe UCLA I think is playing like a better team than their 11 seed that that they were given and I think they they have a chance to be a Cinderella team but we'll see but yeah they kind of caught a break with that round of 32 matchup with Abilene Christian
0: Andrew, they caught a break in just about every matchup. We're not even going to talk about that first one, but I mean, we all we we know what happened there. The second round, I mean, BYU sucks. BYU sucks. Like they are they are awful. Like I, this is a BYU hate. This is a BYU hate podcast because they're horrible. How was that? How was that team anywhere near a six seed? That team should have been probably an eleven seed. And you know why that wasn't really an upset. UCLA was favored. In case you, didn't, they were like a two-point favor in that game. I mean, that, that that's not an upset. I mean, and to beat Abilene Christian, congrats! To beat Michigan State, ah, never mind. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't really consider. I mean, UCLA, great run, but BYU sucks. Abilene Christian, come on, first game. We don't.
1: No, yeah, no, we we don't, don't talk either. about that. <laughs> we don't talk about that first game. <laughs> Just
0: go ahead, Andrew.
1: All right, we'll move on to the next uh, the next upset, next team, and that's Syracuse. Syracuse has had two upsets so far. First in the in the first round, and that was against number six seed San Diego State. I don't know if that was much of a ma- or upset. I, I thought Syracuse was the better team going into the game, and and Henry said it best, and I, I'm going to use your words, Henry. No one can prepare for that Jim Bayheim 2-3 zone coming into the tournament. And San Diego State just could not move the ball on offense. And there's a guy named Buddy Beheim, Jim Bayheim's son, that is just lights out. And there's there's nothing San Diego State could have done. They they were just lights out. And like Henry said before this podcast, he said, no one can prepare for that Jim Bayheim Syracuse. Two three zone, so that's exactly what happened. And similar to what happened against West Virginia, Buddy Beheim goes off. It's hard to prepare for that Jim Bayheim two three. And I think that Jim Beheim two three and Buddy Beheim could lead them as far as they want to go, uh, up to probably maybe the Final Four. But who knows? Well, all I'm saying here is though, no one can prepare for that Jim Beheim two three zone. So who knows if Buddy Boeheim keeps performing like he is and carrying this team and that 2-3 zone stays as effective as it's been throughout this tournament I think they have a good chance of making it far what are your opinions Henry
0: you know Andrew in that West Virginia game I didn't ever think it was really a problem of West Virginia not being able to find ways to beat the zone I mean Bob Huggins had faced that zone enough back when he was in the Big East against that zone twice a year every single year but I mean, West Virginia put themselves in such a hole in that first half that it was going to be very, very hard for them to come back. They adjusted well. I mean, they, they took the lead at multiple times. Sean McNeil was on absolute flames at a point down the stretch in the second half. And I still, I still think West Virginia is probably the better team, but Syracuse made the plays down the stretch. They didn't turn the ball over down the stretch. And they almost, they almost found a way to choke away that game. I mean, if, if deuce mcbride doesn't travel i mean i i genuinely think he probably hits that shot so i don't know i i'm still i'm still a little sussed out by syracuse i i don't know why because that zone's so hard to prepare for they play it so well and they they legit can't miss right now from three buddy 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 Beheim is probably the most on fire player in the entire tournament right now but i i'm still a little sussed out i i i all, with that being said, they probably wound up making the final four and somehow making the national championship and somehow winning the national championship. But uh, I don't know. Something still susses me out with Syracuse.
1: That's fair. I mean, they they weren't the most impressive team uh, in the regular season and snuck their way into the tournament. But, of course, they, they've proven that they belong, clearly, with uh, two upsets in the first two rounds. But let's move on to our final team. We're going to talk about in terms of upsets and USC with a recent upset in the second round, the final game in the second round over number three seed, Kansas wasn't much of a surprise. This is probably like kind of the least, uh, the least surprising upset. I mean, I I didn't think USC was going to win this game at all. I, I mean, I thought they had a chance. It was a pretty even matchup going into it, but right as that ball tipped. I mean, you could tell who was going to win that game. It wasn't Kansas. It was USC. And they dominated basically the entire game. Kansas couldn't get anything going. USC was firing and hitting on, on all cylinders. I mean, USC dominated that game. And they deserved to win it, like I said, r- right from the jump. I mean, they, they were playing an incredible all-game. Kansas couldn't get anything going. And I think this USC team is a sleeper team to possibly uh, win their region. Because I, I don't know, if Gonzaga, I, I believe USC plays a really good defense from what I saw. And if they can slow down Gonzaga's offense, I mean, they still have to beat Oregon, who just put up 96 points. So Oregon's a very good team in the Sweet 16. But if they, if they can beat Oregon and have a matchup with Gonzaga in the Elite Eight, I think they have a good chance at taking them down. Like I said, if they can play the same defense and as good of defense as they did against Kansas, and if they can fire on all cylinders and hit their shots like they did against Kansas, they have a good shot at taking Gonzaga down. So I'm just saying, watch out for USC if they can play like they did against Kansas.
0: Yeah, Andrew, and they they look like a better team. This is a lot like the Loyola-Chicago matchup with Illinois they they look like the better team and I I I keep saying this to Andrew in March no matter what seed you are the things that have been haunting you all year you can't you you don't you just don't get away with I mean Ohio State they couldn't defend and they weren't and they weren't able to beat and they played down to other teams level I mean Purdue they had a lot they had a huge inexperience problem uh Texas they had a huge problem at coaching uh I'm I'm serious. I don't know why you're laughing there, Andrew. It's it, it's a legitimate problem. Shaka Smart is not a good coach. He's not a coach that should be coaching the a three seed in, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think what else there is. Uh, West Virginia. That was that was that's kind of a different one. Illinois, also kind of a, an exception, but a team like BYU. I, I think we, we some of you know why. I'm not gonna express that. But I mean you, you knew that the teams that you that that had problems with certain in certain aspects, those problems rise up again in March and they're they're truly exposed. So I mean you're you're gonna get beat in March if you have a legitimate problem. Some team, no matter what seed, in Ohio State's case finds a way to expose it and finds a way to beat you.
1: Yeah. And I totally agree with that. You can't get away with your uh, parts of your team where you struggle with, you can't get away with those struggles in March because everyone comes prepared. So if you, if you have a certain part of your team that just doesn't function well, I mean, teams will identify it and attack that part and make sure They'll do anything to prevent you from winning, especially in this tournament, because this is everything. This tournament is everything. This is what you play for. So teams are going to come out playing their best basketball. And if you can't match that, no matter what seed you are, you're not going to win the game. And we that's why we've been seeing all these upsets. These lower seeded teams are more hungry and it's March. Anything can happen. That's what we're seeing right here. But let's move on to our next topic. And we've been talking about how great the big 10 and the big 12 have been all season and as soon as it comes to the ncaa tournament man the big 10 and big 12 just suck they suck i don't I, there's no way to put it no other way to put it other than they suck and they represented a large amount of the teams that were uh in the ncaa tournament that were given spots in the ncaa tournament and they they've not impressed anyone. They've been upset constantly. I mean, the Big Ten and Big Twelve would just suck. That's all I have to say about that, Henry. I know you probably have uh, something to say about that, so I want to hear your opinion about how the Big Twelve or Big Twelve and Big Ten have been playing so far in the tournament.
0: I I'm not exactly sure if you said the word suck or sucked, but there's a huge difference a huge difference in the words that you use in that situation. And the key word is the big 10 sucked as in they sucked for a one week period as I mean, there's a lot of reasons that you can say, I mean, Ohio state got exposed in a bad matchup, Illinois faced a team that was heavily under Uh Purdue. I can't, I can't, I can't bail them out. I, I genuinely can't bail them out. I'm, I'm sorry, Purdue. I, there's no, there's, I, I can't bail you out really here. Uh, Maryland, um, you weren't going to beat Alabama. I don't know why I thought that was happening. I, I told Andrew I think there was a serious chance that they would win. I don't know why. I, that that that's on me. That's on me. Um, Rutgers, Rutgers is going to Rutgers. I mean, Ru- Rutgers is going to Rutgers. Uh, that team that, that that plays. In speaking of uh, the motions that you're making, uh, that team that plays. In, in East Lansing, um, they, did, they did a lot of the same thing as Rutgers, but that was not a Rutgers just going to Rutgers moment. That was opposite of what we're used to seeing from that team in March. I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, Iowa, problems exposed. I knew that there were, they, they they there's no choking there. That was not a choke job. I, I don't really care what anyone says. Oregon walked in there, knew that they were going to win, dropped 95, walked out of the building like it was no business while they watched Iowa scream and cry in the locker room. All afternoon, um, Michigan's the only team left. And did you I'm say not,
1: Wisconsin? I'm not uh,
0: sure. Wisconsin, come on, come, come on, come on. They had no shot against Baylor. No, no shot, no shot.
1: They, I mean, nope. they had impressive. They did impressive first round win against North Carolina.
0: Yeah, that was that was that was pretty shocking, considering the uh, athleticism difference and the the talent difference and just every difference that usually matters in basketball. the, the only thing they really had was experience. They literally didn't have anything else that was they, there was there was nothing else on that floor that they had better than North Carolina. I mean, they were they were they had literally had a worse player every single position. They just had experience, and they just had guys who had experience, which is kind of weird. I mean, I know experience wins in March, but when there was that big of a talent difference, I thought there was no way Wisconsin could win that game. They had no chance against Baylor, and somehow we're left with only playing Michigan, and and God. This, this is the most awkward situation ever, isn't it? Do we root for Michigan to get to the final four? Or No, the, no. We, I, we, I, this is a rhetorical question, thank
1: you. We never uh, root for Michigan.
0: It's rhetorical question, thank right you.
1: We, rhetorical question. We, rhetorical
0: yeah. question, thank you, Andrew. Do we, do we root for Michigan to get to the national championship? Uh, no. Um, or do we root for them to lose to Florida State? Of course, we know the answer. I'm not gonna say it out loud but if you're a Michigan State fan, you know the answer to this question or just by any fan of the Big Ten because if you're a Big Ten fan, you know how uh, toxic a certain fan base is from that, 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 that city.
1: I, I feel like everyone in the country doesn't like Michigan or their fan base. I have to be honest, right? Yeah, most, I feel like there's a shared hatred. I feel like everyone who is yeah. listening to this that is not a Michigan fan will understand the shared hatred we have for Michigan fans and their teams in general, just no, no, no one that
0: They're the most toxic, idiotic buffoons that live on this earth. I mean, they, how how can you like them? And speaking of the Big Twelve, I'm not sure if you mentioned this. The Big Twelve, they stunk it up more. The Big Ten had a lot of teams, and but the Big Twelve had a lot of high seeds. I mean, those guys. That I mean, they had, they had a one. They had two, three. They had three threes. They had a six. They had a four. They had an, an eight. The eight had no chance. Um, I'm sorry, Oklahoma. You had no chance. But I mean, boy, oh boy. How how does it work out like this? Michigan and Baylor. The Big Ten and Big Twelve combined have half the amount of teams as the Pac-12. That's that's all you need to know. I, I, I'm done talking. I'll let Andrew continue.
1: Yeah, it, it just doesn't make much sense. But yet again, it's March and not many things make sense. But let's move on to a conference you just mentioned, the Pac-12. And man, they they are just the opposite of the the Big Ten and Big 12. And they are absolutely beasting in this tournament. I mean, four out of their five bids have made it to the Sweet 16. And like you said, they have doubled the amount of representatives from their conference in The sweet 16 then the big 10 and the big 12 do combined that's crazy we we were just bashing before the tournament started the Pac 12 and how awful their conference is little do we know they go five and oh technically with Oregon getting a no contest in the first round and then they go four and one in the next round to get four out of their five bids into the sweet 16 I mean, it's just crazy. What do you have to say about the Pac-12? Because we, we've been bashing them all season about how awful they are, and yet they show up when it matters. So it doesn't make much sense to me. Like I said, yet again, it's March. Not many things make sense.
0: Andrew, this is the same thing that I said about the Big Ten and the Big 12. They're still the two best conferences in college basketball. The Pac-12 is still the worst Power 5, Power 6 conference in college basketball. Like you said, this is March. Simple as that. That's really it. That's 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 really it.
1: Yeah. And this brings us to our final topic. And this is the most impressive player in the tournament so far. Henry, I believe you and I both disagree on this, although I don't mind your answer or I believe what will be your answer. I don't mind it at all, but I have a different answer. And maybe that's just from firsthand experience of uh, getting beat by this player. And that's Johnny Juzang, Johnny Juzang from UCLA and
0: Mexican Jesus.
1: No, that's, that's Jaime Jaquez. I believe
0: Mexican Jesus, the second.
1: (laughs) Anyway, Johnny Juzang is where, is where I'm trying to get at here. And he's just been nothing short of incredible throughout this tournament. And I believe he's averaging 22 and a half points per game, something like that throughout this tournament. And I think it's fair to say, along with Jaime Jaquez, I believe his name is, I really don't want to butcher his name uh, for UCLA. I might just have to say Mexican Jesus, as uh, Henry said, just so I don't butcher his name and give him a compliment with that. Anyway, along with him and Johnny Juzang, they've both carried this team, and Johnny Juzang has played a great part. And like I said, he's just been so impressive because – you know what, Henry, could you could you say your player right now just so I could compare the two?
0: Uh yeah. Uh Buddy, Buddy the Elf, Buddy Beham.
1: Buddy Bayheim. All right. Wanna compare the two? Buddy Beham, incredible shooter. Has been shooting the lights out. Best shooter in the tournament so far. Yes, but sir. but what I what I what I have to say about Johnny Juzang, He his levels. He has levels to his game. Johnny Juzangas, does levels to his game. I mean, he can he can drive to the cup, dunk it down. He can uh, get pull up mid range, sink it. He can pull up for three, sink it. He has levels to his game. I think he's been the most impressive player just for that. He's a pure scorer. Buddy Behan can score, shoot the lights out. But I I haven't seen Buddy Behan drive to the cup and oh. get a, get a dunk, get a get a yeah. nice layup. Whoa! Oh. Oh. Whoa! Oh. Oh.
0: Whoa! Lovely. What? Buddy Beheim puts the ball on the floor. You get a smaller defender on that guy. He can he can post he can post up, give you a little turnaround fade, and we're talking about level turn around three.
1: fade. Turn around fade. When was the last time you seen him drive to the cup and get a driving layup? Okay, leg all
0: right, cup? all right, all right. Let's let's uh, let's let, 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 let's let's think about who we're
1: I'm talking. Saying, about. Johnny, do you know levels he level has to his team? game.
0: He has behind the three point arc. He has five feet behind the three point arc, and then ten feet behind the three point arc. I don't think Johnny Juzang is doing that right now.
1: Johnny Juzang has been shooting the lights out, too. Maybe not as good as Buddy. Not 28 points per game. Are, are you sure about that? I feel like you're making that up. I don't uh, think 28 points.
0: Let, let, let's, let's take I a look.
1: Bro, I, I think it's 25 or something close to that. Maybe 24. I believe it's still more than Johnny Juzang. But Johnny Juzang.
0: 27 and a
1: half. 20, 20,
0: and term, 27
1: and a half. That's a lot more than I thought. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Buddy Beheim. I'm
1: sticking with Johnny Juzang, though.
0: No, you're I, just saying that because you're, you're, you're. Yeah,
1: because I saw him firsthandedly beat my team. Yes. And, and he beat your team as well. The Mexican
0: Jesuses. Yes. I, it's, it's
1: I, I'm, I'm. Ah. Yeah, no, we, could we not mention that? we're Yeah, just and speaking,
0: speaking, speaking of that, 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 that team, not UCLA, the other team showed up at Mackey Arena on Thursday night. Oh, um,
1: the team, the team we root for?
0: The team who showed up at Mac Arena on Thursday night oh, and, we, do we, and do came, we there, came there, spent two hours there, had a good time, went home, n- not in this bet- good mood as they were before. Uh, we'll, we'll be getting a season recap and uh, what, what to look for coming, coming soon. I say that now and we probably won't do that till like uh, June. So just be mentally prepared that we say that now and it won't come till June. But if you have nothing else to say, Andrew, I think this would be a great time to wrap up today's podcast. As always, I want to thank everyone for listening. We hope you would enjoy. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and download this podcast, and we'll see you guys next time on the Last Take Sports Podcast.